0: The Diary of a Harlequin is proudly brought to you by Charles Stanley Wealth Managers, official player welfare partner of Harlequins. If you're looking to start your investment journey, then Charles Stanley has lots of tips and ideas on how to secure your financial future. Welcome to the Diary of a Harlequin. I'm your host, Joe Yates-Round, and today we'll be talking to ellie Kildun about what it takes and what it means to be a harlequin ellie joined quins in 2021 but grew up in west yorkshire playing both league and union in keely where at times she was the only girl on the pitch also a promising footballer and liverpool fan she ultimately decided on rugby when she enrolled in hartbury college after leaving school representing her country at sevens helping england qualify for the 2020 olympics and at 15s, where she's won back-to-back Six Nations Championships and got all the way to the World Cup final in 2022 as part of a team that has inspired a new generation of women's rugby players. Welcome, Ellie. Um, thank you uh, for, for joining us on the podcast. I guess let's go back all the way um, to the start for you and what's been a, a potted rugby career, league, union. Why union, I guess, ultimately, for you over, over league coming from, uh, coming from Yorkshire?
1: Um, I think I got the ball more often. Um, I was sick of waiting for the sixth tackle uh, to happen. And also being up north, there was obviously a lot more uh, league being played, but the pathway was more clear in, in the union side of things. So by the time I, I was playing both league and union until I was maybe 13, 14. And by that point, I kind of knew the pathway in union, but I had no real idea about the league side. So I kind of ended up, channeling it down and i really enjoyed playing union like i said got the ball more than just a sixth tackle so um yeah i loved it
0: and then that's why union but why rugby over football because when I mean, we were chatting beforehand right you said you are i mean for the listener like as a kid diehard liverpool fan are we talking like wearing the kit 24 7
1: 100 every christmas every birthday it was a new it was a new jersey or a ticket to go watch them or I'd, I'd save up to buy the magazines to put more posters up and, yeah, I was, absolutely loved it.
0: Who were the Who were the prime players that had poster positions on the wall?
1: Well, of course you'd say Stevie G, but I really, really loved Fernando Torres. Right, Whenever right. we played on FIFA, he was my go-to person and, yeah, made sure I could always get the ball to him because I knew that I could get loads of um, goals and stuff as well.
0: Was that the sort of footballer you were when you played football as well, like out-and-out striker, goal machine?
1: Um, Yeah, I played striker on the wing. I When I started playing so I was playing league union and football at the same time so busy weekends as you can imagine um I then um started playing more on the wing because I, I could use my speed a little bit more and um yeah that d- doubled a little bit in the centres as well.
0: <laughs> Blimey that is a that is a full that is a full weekend for your parents I mean how did you manage kind of were you playing games then every weekend as well as training in the week?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, you didn't train as as often as you would train now Mm -hmm. uh, because obviously you're kids. But, yeah, it kind of went Saturday morning we played league. Then Sunday you'd play Union in the morning and then go to my football game in the afternoon. So pretty savage. But it might be the reason why I'm I'm so fit now because I spent all my time... um, busy playing either playing out and if I wasn't playing out I was playing on the pitch whether it would be football or rugby
0: I mean that's probably why you're sat in that chair and I'm sat in this chair um (laughs) because my Saturdays feel busy if I'm watching three games of sport let alone playing across the weekend. and then at that age so 13 14 what did you what did you love more obviously like football was your passion as a as a fan Mm. did you find that that made it easier to focus more on rugby and have football as something fun that you did or was there ever the ambition to go down the football route
1: yeah, I really wanted to do football as well. Um, again, I guess it was that I was already part of the pathway in rugby and I knew what it looked like, whereas in football, I played for a really good team. Uh, we were national champions. We'd, we went over to Man City and beat Man City 4-1. Like, we were really good in the wow. age groups. Um, and I thought, you know, this is what I really want to do. And what it was is I met someone on holiday, family holiday, and there was this girl in the in the corner of the like the uh, by the side of the pool and she was doing some mad tricks and doing kickups and I thought who is this girl obviously you don't come across many young girls that can do kickups like you can do kickups and I thought is this girl anyway dad pushed me into going to speak to her and uh she played for arsenal and played for england in the age groups And i was like wow she must be a very good striker or something like that and then she said she played defense i thought i've got no chance in football if this <laughs> is a defender doing like more kick-ups than i can do and i'm saying i'm a striker or on the wing i am um, yeah i kind of thought oh, well maybe maybe i don't i don't have a chance in that but at the same time it kind of got to the point in my rugby where um I had to stop playing football. Um, I was already at Harpre College as well at that point, so like I said, I was well down the pathway of where I am now. So it was either restarting football or carry on where I am in rugby. And I think the football has really, really complimented me in rugby. I, I can tell a mile off when someone's played football before. Yeah. yeah, mile off. Like the vision. Like forget the kicking, but the the vision of the game is just different. You look, you're looking two phases ahead of where the where it could be, like in football, because you're putting the ball forward, as opposed to the now and the here, you can kind of see it. And I play very well with them people as well.
0: Oh, well, that's interesting. I guess I hadn't thought about that as the the crossover between football and rugby. So do you think that particularly in the women's game at the moment, as it's getting Bigger and bigger, right? More people are watching, more people are playing. That actually having that football background is going to be a really key skill asset to driving the game forward as the standard gets better.
1: Yeah, 100%. I mean, like I said, one, the vision is different, but also to have a backline where everyone can kick changes the game. It doesn't necessarily mean everyone's going to kick all the time and it's going to be a, a, a table tennis match of, of a game, but it definitely opens up the pitch a little bit more to like the, them core skills. And, um, I, th- I think, you know, when people say the kids are playing and they want to keep them in one spot, and yeah. I just think do everything you can do because the multi-sport athletes are the best athletes out there. Yeah. You can use everything from like any sport that you play in, you can use, like whether it's tennis, whether it's climbing, whatever it is, I think it all crosses over in some way. You've just got to find what them little things are.
0: Is that something that you think that because of your experience of playing lots of different sports that It's easier for you to draw on. Like, how do you think that translates to, I don't know, as the women's game gets more and more professional, the idea of like full-time academies coming down the line and kind of from an earlier age, girls are pushed into just playing rugby. Do you think that's ultimately going to be detrimental to the growth of the game and the individuals within that?
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, because the game's growing, you've got more people to look to, because you've got people who have been in the multi-sports, then you can compare it if it, this was ten years ago, and this was a case where you had like an academy coming through, and teams hadn't had multi-sport uh, athletes in it, then you wouldn't have anything to compare to. So then less people yeah. would be kicking. Let like the the vision wouldn't be there. Blah blah. blah. But whereas if now if it was to happen now i don't think it would be as detrimental however mm. i would still push that if you're in an in academy you're still allowed to do all the other things mm. which i know is tricky because i remember uh, having conversations with football teams and they were like okay well if you're going to sign you can't play any other sport yeah. and i thought what like why would i do that I'd, i had a conversation with um, a hairdresser and she was asking me questions about how to keep her son motivated and she's talking to me about a son and in my head he was a 17 year old lad he was I think he was about 11 and he was in a football academy all he does is football he trains four times a week and he was like she was asking how do I keep him loving it And I just thought let him be a kid I don't don't keep them in one sport because they will get bored it's it's a long career if you're starting at that age and you've got to play for fun for a certain period of time Mm -hmm. and then you can start pulling out the um the enjoyment aspects when it starts becoming professional and more serious
0: but i guess if you found that fun early on right when when you're playing it's easier when times maybe get tough or Mm. when results aren't going your way to go oh actually i remember why i like doing this whereas if it's been a job since you're 11 the reality is is that i think in any professional world you'd be hard-pressed to find anyone that's been in the same job since they were 11 years old right you change careers you change paths because you get bored because you need to find that fun in a new way.
1: Yeah, completely. You've got to remember why why you've started. That's the always the the drawback is why have I started? Because no one wants to be training in the rain, mm. in the mud. No one wants to be turning up when your fingers, you can't feel your fingers or toes, and you're jumping around the pitch to try to keep yourself warm. No one wants to. That's mm. not why we why we play. We play there's the enjoyment aspect. So if it's been so serious from such a, an early age, then how do you find that? So yeah I think I think you should you should be able to even in academies and as the the women's game goes that way you should be able to do all these all the sports until a certain age and then you say right okay now we've got to focus on rugby.
0: And then so you mentioned kind of just then that you went down to Hartbury. that was mm-hmm. kind of when rugby started becoming your focus. So talk me through how that move came about for you from kind of West Yorkshire to then coming down to the to the southwest, like was there a few places you were looking at, or was that the next step that you kind of ironed out for yourself?
1: Uh yeah, so it was it was a bit of a rust sh- decision, really. So I was all dead set on staying at my school up in up in Yorkshire. Loved my school, Woodhouse Grove. It was just yeah, quite a small school up there, but I had a really good group of friends. I loved, I, I could tell who anybody was by the back of the head. Whenever right, I was okay. driving down yeah, the drive. I was like, I know who you are, whatever year group they were in. It was just a really tight-knit school. And um, yeah, dead set on staying there for, for sixth form. And I went to a tournament called Sainsbury School Games at the time. I think it's now called School Games. I don't even know if it's a thing anymore, because the pathway's kind of changed. Mm. But it was essentially, in, in my eyes, it was like a mini Olympics. So right, okay. it was like age group, you had rugby sevens, you had a lot of um like um disabled sports as well. There was athletics, there was um taekwondo, there was loads of little bits that uh, was going on. And I went down and I remember my friend. Mm telling me, oh, I'm going to Hartbury College. And I um, I remember having uh, the discussion with my mum in the car. I remember saying, she's throwing her life away. Why would she go to a rugby college? She's really smart. And I gave it all that. Went to the tournament, came away from the tournament. And I was like, mum, you've got to get me to Hartbury College. I've got to go. It opened up my eyes because I thought... I remember being in the, the change rooms, it was like this big marquee, and the, the walls didn't hit the roof, they kind of went up h- halfway. So everyone was battling with the music. So who right. could have the best song on, who could like make the the speaker the loudest, which team could you could sing loud? And that like team aspect and being mm. together and you know, from being up in Yorkshire and being the only girl in the school who plays rugby, going to a club where I was way, way down the line in terms of my rugby and we were still learning how to put. I would like W's up to catch and the frustrations right. around that, I just thought, you know, I need to be around these people because this is what's going to make me the best player. And at that point, I just said, yeah, I've got to go to Harper College. So, I mean, it caused a lot of fallouts, a lot of um, humming and ah and it was obviously a massive decision for mum and dad living so far away. Yeah. Um and I remember going to the trials and I was convinced I didn't get in. And I was sat in a biology lesson and I started getting a call and I thought, oh, I've not got in. I'm not going. <laughs> and um, yeah, they called me and they said, I got in. And and from that wow. point, didn't look back. And like I said, it was a massive decision moving away from home so early. And it's got its pros and cons to it. But ultimately, I will not be sat here today at the age I am with, you know, being Six Nations. Being in the sevens because that like massively complemented all of that.
0: Yeah, and then let's just go back again. Sorry, I'm dotting around because you said something that's quite interesting there. Being like like the only girl in your school that was playing rugby, maybe you were you were frustrated, I guess, at the level of training. Like because you were like, I can already catch a ball. Mm -hmm. Like how are we going to progress? Like what was that? Like how did that manifest itself? Were you disruptive in like school rugby and school sports because you were like, well, I've done this bit. I'm ready for the next. Bit, or were you kind of taking on a more active coaching role of being like i want more people to play so i've got people um, to play with sort of thing
1: i guess at the time quite destructive um you know i was only 15 16 mm. so if it was now i think it'd be very different because i've got the experience and i'm about to try a thing think i actually need more but i played with the boys at school um yeah. so we had like the traditional like games day and in year seven and year eight i played for the the boys team which was very cool and love running rings around them. Absolutely love playing with the boys. Again, another thing like football, you can tell when someone's played with or against boys. Really? Yeah. Yeah, you can tell. You can tell.
0: What gives it away?
1: Um I think core skills Um, because the I think the average at a, a young age, I think it's different now because there's more girls mm, in, yeah. in it. So it's way different now. But at the time, if you were, I didn't know any women's teams. And like yeah. I said, if I'm going to an under 15s training and we're putting our W's up, and I did that at under eights and in, in yeah. it's it is different now because there's more girls involved. But at the time, yeah, I think you can you can tell, and I think it's just the vision again. It's like that, and if they're involved with the boys rugby, they tend to be playing football as well. Or right. okay. yeah, yeah, it's it, it's it's only subtle things. Um, but yeah, it's, it's becoming way different now that like you've got more girls coming was, in. You was, can't really you can't really tell. Yeah, that's what I was anymore. gonna say. Is
0: that's obviously for for when you were kind of coming through, but now with the the younger girls coming into the team, yeah. is that less important, do you think, that idea of having to go through that, oh, I played with the boys when I was at school sort of thing that actually mm. we're resourcing women's sport a lot better now?
1: Yeah, right? I think I think so. I also think that it one one thing that I would like to change or open people's eyes up to is Girls can play against boys. So we, yeah. when when teams are, we've got a team. So I went to my old school the other day, and a few girls said, "Oh yeah, we play rugby. We play rugby." And I said, "Oh, that's that's brilliant." Like when I was here, no one played rugby. It was just me. And I said to him, "So have you played any games?" And he said, we, "We've got a team, but we've got no team to play against." <laughs> so like the I then went to the P. Um, like centre and they said the same like we can put a team together but we've got no teams to play against so my idea was okay if I can play in a boys team year seven and play down a year in year eight Mm -hmm. then what's stopping a girls team in year seven going over to a boys an opposition boys team and playing against them so it's a full girls team against a full boys team because you can play crossover yeah so I think, like, that. that's how you keep it developing. And as soon as you do that, there might be one girl in the other school's team who watches that and says, oh, there's girls playing rugby, or the girls beat the boys. They yeah, then yeah. think, oh, I want to be involved with that. They might not be able to form a team straight away, but then they maybe they can come into the girls' team to get the mum or dad speaking to speak them and say, do these girls play at a club? that's how it starts building because there's a massive gap where it's like well we've got a team but other people don't have a team and I think you've got to think out of the box as to how do we combat that because it doesn't have to mean you've got to play for a boys team but it just might mean you've got to go against what's normal and play against a boys team.
0: Interesting and I guess it doesn't have to be that kind of I don't know like you said there like oh we've got a team but no one else does it's like well we've done the hard work but now Mm. we're waiting Mm. being like well don't do 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 the hard work and then stop like, I know. Of push course on and do something. It else. comes
1: to an age where you you, you can't you can't play course, against boys. Yeah. But I think up until up until that age, like why not? Why not? There's no reason that you can't play against a boys' team at that age. So do it. And if, if you beat them, the boys have to get better. And if the boys beat you, you've got to get better. There's no difference like genetically, yeah. like girls are actually bigger at that uh, that age than boys are. So it it just goes against what is the norm and yeah. no one wants well no one wants the boys don't want the girls to beat them and trust me they'll come up with a million excuses as to why they did I remember I I got back of the year in year seven or eight or something and the boys were like well yeah that's because no one wants to tackle you because you're a girl and I just thought
0: brilliant okay yeah.
1: well I've got the trophy and you don't so <laughs> that's
0: that's quite a good response to fragile uh, masculinity <laughs> isn't it even at year eight being like well I did win the trophy so, <laughs> yeah, um... so, so yeah
1: thanks
0: <laughs> okay so then Uh, overnight your ambition changed to go to Heartbreak and suddenly you're like right i've got to go then you get the call you get in what age are you then when you're kind of talking about moving away from home for the first time
1: so i was uh 15 then i was yeah just going into my doing my revision for my gcses um and yeah that's pretty tough Mm. i mean i was like yeah i want to go i didn't really think about anything mum and dad on the other hand were very like this is a big decision. We don't want you to leave home at this age because it's not like just round the corner. It's like four hour, five hour journey back up. So, yeah, it was um, quite young to be to be doing that type of thing. But I, I mean, I I go to uni now, but I've mm. never lived the uni experience. Like I've been, I think I've been into two lectures because I do all, I do it all online. <laughs> sure, um, sure, yeah, you know, Ellie is doing the work. Just to be
0: clear, yeah. <laughs> I'm
1: doing it all online. So that like. Being away and I think it's very important for people to do yeah. that. I just ended up doing it earlier, and like I said, even though there's massive sacrifice that's involved with that, and I look back on it and I think, oh God, I wish I saw my brother like becoming a teenager, and I didn't see that. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's there's so many things that I go back home and I just think, oh wow, like I'm not going to. But in COVID, COVID was a blessing because it's the first time we've all been together in so long. Mm. And I've never been at home for more than two weeks since I was 15. So, wow. yeah, that is, it's crazy. But, yeah, it was a decision that ultimately I'm proud of because mm. I ended up getting my first cap for England in the second year of being there. So, And I was involved with the England Sevens development in my first year of being there. So it accelerated my journey as to who I am today, definitely.
0: Wow, that's that's pretty impressive then to kind of think that you, based on attending that uh, that. that- Kind of mini Olympics that, mm. that you talked mm. about you then made that decision that then within the space of two years you're playing for for England 15s and scoring a try mm-hmm. on debut mm-hmm. um which not many people can say and certainly not many people that were even I mean i about taking rugby that seriously yeah. at, at age 15 was that your ambition like did you put that out there from when you went there that right my aim is to go and play for England mm. or was it just about Seeing whether or not you could make rugby as a as a career um, or as a as a journey for you.
1: Yeah, n- not really. I I never I never thought I want to play rugby. I didn't really know that it was an an like an option. If you know mm-hmm. what I mean, I didn't watch much rugby. I watched now and again, but I didn't really watch. It. I didn't even really like watch like, the women's world cup when it was on, and just because I didn't really know much about it. Yeah. Like I said, I was such a football fan. I just had football on all the time, so. Yeah, it wasn't so much like a burning ambition. I I just, I remember doing a church service in primary school. (laughs) And we had to write down with our Chris Stingle... a wish or something like that is that um, the one with
0: the, the jelly babies on yeah, the, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and some religious significance I'm sure but yeah. mainly jelly
1: babies I put I want to be famous <laughs> they got read out I like, picked some things and oh, someone said I want to be famous I thought oh that was me <laughs> that was me
0: as the other know, children are going we'll end world hunger <laughs> and everyone to, everyone yeah, to love exactly. each other and they're like fame
1: yeah. <laughs> and I'm not I'm not saying I'm famous or anything like that but <laughs> what I'm trying to say is I wanted to be successful in something and I, that's that's what I've drawn out from it and mum's got a little card that we had to make I think I was age I think say says age eight mm-hmm. and it's why so we had to draw our own Christmas card and say on the front of it when I grow up I want to be and I put when I grow up I want to be a footballer yeah although the the ball's changed similar thing I wanted to be very successful in something and I guess I've always known that I, I had conversations even in like I said in primary school with with people and they said oh, I just know you're going to do something like if anyone's going to do something it's going to be you which, yes, is really cool to hear, but it just shows that when someone's got something, you can see it and they just got to believe in yeah. themselves and just go for it. I never knew what it was going to be. I've said to my, my mum when I was younger, I wanted to be a singer. I could not sing to save my life. I just wanted to do something that is successful. And yeah, yeah I, I, that's yeah, kind of been the, the, the trend throughout, really.
0: Interesting. So it's kind of that, that I, the idea of that passion for being successful. Mm-hmm full stop, rather than, right, I'm going to be laser-focused on rugby from age 11 or football even or whatever it may be. Do do you think having that separation in that part of your career where you weren't necessarily the world's biggest rugby fan but you were focused on playing the game was healthier for you and better for you than if you'd been, I don't know, as a Liverpool fan in the Liverpool Mm. women's Mm programme and being there and being around that thing that you were so kind of in love with? Do you think that was more healthy looking back probably at the time you wanted to be. Yeah, football,
1: completely. Right? Yeah. I mean, I'm super competitive, right? I think a lot of people who are successful at anything in life are, are competitive. So I wanted to be the best at everything that I do. Still, still now I want to be, if I'm going to do something, I want to be the best at doing that. Otherwise, I think, mm, what's the point in doing it? Yeah. Um. And I definitely think that, you know, not being so, I had to discover myself what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And I think being involved with, Academies are surrounded by only one thing from such a young age. It stops that because you don't really discover what you want to do because you're always reminded round you like why you're doing it. There was times that I thought like I don't really want to do this when I I couldn't find a team when I stopped playing for the boys I couldn't find a team for a little while my dad ended up driving me an hour into the Yorkshire Dales to go to a training session where three people would turn up and I just thought maybe I'd just do football Like mm. and I don't do this even though I'm really good at this, maybe I just don't do this. At that point, I had to discover myself what I wanted to do. Do I actually, I need to find somewhere, I need to find something that works or do I just take the easy route and if I was involved in like an academy or whatever, let the externals drive me, I'm very internally driven now and that's probably the reason why because... I've had to be. You've had to find the other things rather than it being the externals that are saying, no, you're doing this. This is why you're doing it and pushing it on you. Um, Yeah.
0: And so because it's your choice to do it, you're more committed to it being that success that you always Mm -hmm. dreamed of rather than, you've never got the worry, right? I think from speaking to you, and hopefully the listener will will get this as well, that you're not achieving it because it's someone else's dream. What you're doing is because you're living your dream and Actually, that may change in ten years' time to a different dream, but you're going to keep pursuing that in the same way.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, there's there's many reasons I do what I do and why I do it. One, I want to be the best in the world. Like I said, I'm super competitive. I want to be the best in the world. I want to, like, I want people to look in and think, who is that? Like, that's that's really good. That's one thing. Two, I want to make sure that everything that I have sacrificed is like worth it. I don't want to look back and think. uh, yeah, I give it a good go, but you can't get time back. Like, you can't yeah. get time back. It it comes and it goes and that's it. And you can reminisce on it as many times as you want to reminisce on it, but you will never be in that moment again. I walk through my old school and I just think, oh, wow, this was, I loved it here, but we'll never be in the same situation where everyone's at the same place at the same time in the same moment. Mm-hmm. So I take it as it comes and I enjoy it right now. And also, I love it. There's nothing that I would rather be doing in the world. Yeah. I, I I sometimes sit and think, oh, well, what am I going to do after rugby? And I get asked it a lot, mm. and it's not something that obviously you've got to prep and everyone says life after rugby, which I get, I get because it can stop at any time. You can get injured, and yeah. you have to be a touch word it doesn't happen, but like that can happen. I go, that's why I'm I'm doing a uni degree. I don't know what I want to do. I want to be so successful in rugby that. I work out other things that I want to do through through that, and I don't have to press on. Oh, I'm doing sports science shock. I would do sports science, <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna do something in that because I don't think that that's the case. I want to do right, do this right now, enjoy this right now. I don't look too far ahead, and I also don't look back too far either. I'm here yeah. for each day, and what comes with it is really very really special.
0: So my next question is, uh, what does life after rugby look like? <laughs> <laughs> um, that's really interesting to hear how that that motivation of living right now, not sweating kind of too much what's gone before. Yes, learning from it, bringing it forward, but then leaving it where it happened. And we'll come on to the Rugby World Cup um, last year. But before we get there, I guess kind of if we follow the, the story chronologically, right? We've just gone on that journey with you at Hartbury. You've played for England. You've scored that try on your debut and suddenly you're like, okay, wow, I'm here now. I'm at the pinnacle, but... I'm guessing, from what you just said, that you didn't feel that you had completed it. Right? Oh, no. You weren't like, oh great, I've done it now. Oh yeah. So what 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 was next for you then in terms of, you've played for England, to many people, you've, you've lived that dream. Mm. But how did you then go about making sure that became something you were able to do consistently? And then how does sevens kind of come into the mix with fifteens?
1: Yeah, so I, um so like I said, I was involved with the England sevens development when I was... 16. Mm-hmm. So I basically went down into camp, couldn't do any contact. But they had like at the time they had a bit of a like development program, um, which was a few a few of the girls are now in the prem and now in the sevens programme as well we okay. were in it. There was maybe five or six of us, and we trained with the sevens team, and then I went back up to college. Yeah. And that's how that went for the first year, and that was like every now and again. And then I got the England call-up in in the second year, played there. And at the end of that year... So in that year, England 15s wasn't professional. Mm -hmm. So you got paid per game, but it wasn't a professional sport. None of the girls were in there professionally. Um, So it kind of looked very different. And I remember at the end of uh, my college time, I got a call from both the sevens coach and the 15s coach. And... um, they both just offered me a contract because both was professional and, yeah, they offered me a contract and I sat there and was obviously really amazed, but mm. I wanted to go to the Olympics. I wanted to see the Commonwealth Games. I had a conversation with the, the backs coach at the time in the 15s and he kind of said, well, like, why, why do you want to do that? And my point was is I don't want to not get selected because of experience because in my first year of the 15s in that year, it was always how I ever heard, all I ever heard about was experience, and looking at the time, I thought it was really frustrating. I was like, experience doesn't mean anything. It's that's an age thing. It's it's just the older girls and blah blah. And I wanted to gain my experience through the, the things that I've done, not by the number of years that I've got under all my right. belt. Okay. Yeah. So. I was like, I want to go to the Olympics. I want to go to an Olympics. I want to go to a World Cup. I want to go to a Commonwealth Games. I want to do all of these things. Mm-hmm. So by the age of 23, 24, like I am now, I can look back and say, I am an experienced senior player. Yes. And although I haven't done those things, I've been through a lot of experiences that make me very experienced in what I'm doing. And there's so much more to go. Yeah. But I then, yeah, decided, you know what, I'm fast. I don't really like getting tackled. Sevens actually seems all right. It doesn't seem too bad. So, yeah, I took the Sevens contract um, and moved down to uh, down near London mm-hmm. uh, with some of the other girls and spent two years there. And it was up and downs. And I absolutely loved Sevens. Like, yeah. I still love it. Some of my best friends are, are there. And the group that we had was amazing. Looking back on it, I probably took it for granted The being at the Lensbury, being in Teddington, and you know, yeah, it's really nice there so it's lovely it's, it's, it's mainly it's, coffee shops yeah, it, yeah. and right? it, i mean rugby players at the time i didn't even like coffee and i was trying to force myself to have, like coffee so i started started having mockers because i was sick of saying oh can i have hot chocolate oh yeah go and put, put some cream on it yeah. um yeah so i started saying oh i'm gonna have mockers and people are like stop forcing yourself to like coffee i'm, like, I'm gonna and now i love love coffee yeah, i'm a bit of a snob with it so yeah i um yeah i loved that that two years i was injured for a lot of it mm. um you know, I could look at it and say, oh, I was injured for a lot of it, I hated it. But the experience that I gained from having long-term injury and how I deal with that type of thing um is the experience that I've gained that now if I if I become injured, I know exactly what to do. So yeah, yeah there's a lot of positives that came with with that and also the fact that, you know, we qualified for an Olympics. We travelled the world to some really amazing places and yeah. I remember I whenever I went home, everyone would be like, oh, where have you been this time? And I said, Oh, I've just come back from Japan, or it was crazy. Um and yeah, it's something that I'm I'm super proud to say is part of my journey because it's, you know, it's why I'm the player I am today. And you know, I'd love to be involved with the Simmons at some point in the future as well. It's it's a quick game and like I said, I don't like getting tackled. That's why I play the player I'm playing. So <laughs> Well,
0: it's yeah. a good job you don't like getting tackled, it's also Pretty difficult to tackle you i think <laughs> uh, many of your opponents would say so so that seventh journey sounds like a lot of mocker and a lot of traveling the world yeah. and i'm sure everyone's feeling really sorry for the fact um, <laughs> that you had to endure that for two years so then why come back to 15s like what, what was then was there an appeal was it just a change in your own headspace or did you miss getting tackled
1: no i didn't miss getting tackled no <laughs> i am um, so the what happened really and the, once COVID hit, so we just qualified for the Olympics. An amazing, incredible story. Of, it's one of my favorite stories to tell, the whole qualification in Russia. You had to place first. We had France, so we had to beat, we haven't beaten in France in a long time. And then we had Russia, and the troops all walked out in this Russian stadium, and schools all came out, and my mum and her friend were the only English people in the crowd. Yeah, it was wow. crazy. and yeah that that whole experience of the qualification is you know it's just the first time I really felt part of a team it was mm. really really cool you know we were all sending little letters under each other's doors just before the game and that like unity I haven't I have felt since but I hadn't felt up until that point right so that happened obviously on top of the world we then head into our first GB camp which is super exciting um You know, we started getting this kit and you could really start seeing what's going to come. And then actually my roommate at the time got COVID. And it was the first, I don't know if it was the first, it was the first I'd heard of. Yeah. And we were like, oh, so someone's got COVID. And then that's when the outbreak, like, happened. Again, she wasn't the first person,
0: obviously, but... I'm not saying you know patient zero. This isn't no, no, the big no, reveal No, of no, no, but it was, a, it was
1: the first person that I kind of, like, I knew of. And then everyone was like, what? And then the, the programme shut down. They said, yeah, everyone's got to go home for two weeks. And then lock up, lockdown happened. So we're all training at home still with, like, that, like, outlook. We are going to be going to snow and You need to keep on training, even if it's running on a field on your own, if it's going on a... a Bike ride, just keep yourself fit, keep your skills going. And um, then um, we got the news that unfortunately, because of COVID, the Senate's programme has to fold, which was heartbreaking uh, for everybody. I guess it meant that everyone was looking for other jobs to go to. I remember looking in Richmond for some bar jobs and on like athlete nannies and stuff like that. And I just thought, oh, I want to be the best player in the world. And this isn't it. Which mm. I felt like I was cheating the system because I was offered a contract, the only contract in the fifteens at the time. I was offered a contract and they said to me, if you take it, you're not gonna be able to go to Olympics, you soul focuses the World Cup. And I felt like I was cheating the girls. I was yeah. such a like a horrible time and I just I felt selfish to take it because I knew everyone else was looking for other jobs and I was taking the easy route just by staying in 15s and that's, I guess, if I keep on going back to experiences, something that, you know, I first time I properly felt like a like heartbreak because I didn't want to do it. Of course I wanted to go to the Olympics. I wanted to stay part of the team. I wanted to be back in Lensbury, in Tendenton, having a, a mocker with the girls. I didn't want to be like uh, doing anything else. And... Ultimately, I, I made the really, really tough decision to take that 15s contract and try to change my mindset and say, OK, well, I'm heading towards a World I want to be the best player in the world. I don't want to be standing in a bar job all day and then have to go to training in the evening and blah, 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 what the other girls have had to do. And, you know, they've fought a long fight and now they're back in a, in a contracted position and they're getting ready for qualifications for the next Olympics. And, yeah, it, I just felt like I'd cheated everybody really um and you know the girls were really supportive of it and ultimately backed my decision um so yeah then I, I took that contract and I was like all right it's fine because I have to refocus it's World Cup I'm, I'm now focusing towards and then we got the news that the World Cup got postponed a year so then I was like oh my word, I, I could I could I mean, I couldn't because of the things I, I spoke about, but I've got time to do the Olympics and I want, I want to still do the Olympics, but it wasn't an option. I knew it wasn't, so I had to park that aspiration to the side, watch from the sidelines and cheer my friends on as much as I could do. And, and and I did, and they did incredible. I think they surprised everybody with mm-hmm. how well they did at the Olympics, You know, not being in a program for so long, and then positioning where they did and playing some of the most amazing rugby as well alongside. So I did that. Went then head down to to the World Cup, which um, was pretty special as well. And you know what? I'm looking back on it. That's one of the best experiences I've ever had, even though we didn't win. And I'd love to sit here saying, oh, we're a World Cup winner and this is a World Cup winning story. We didn't win, but I think the story's better. And I think, forget the story. I I think it's better for me as a person and as a player. And to be part of what happened is uh, something I'm very, very proud of, definitely.
0: But it comes back to experience and you've said a lot in our in our conversation and that those experiences all added together are why you're here right now um and doing the things you're doing in the game right now i guess before we pick up on the world cup i just have one other question about that period right where i know i maybe asked the question flippantly but you know there was a a lot that went on in that two-year 18-month period for everyone in in covid and, and lockdowns but for you and and that team, right, that you felt that real mm. unity, that real bond with, to then be essentially broken up overnight. Mm. But still the reality in, in women's sport and sevens and, and Olympic um, sport like that is that that wasn't just a, oh, okay, go back into camp for another year and we'll just mm. delay and go again for the Olympics next mm. year. It was, oh, we don't have a job anymore. Yeah. You're unemployed, right? So you had the opportunity to go back to 15s, but then with the stick of... Yeah, but you can't go to the Olympics. Mm. How did that unity in that group, do you think, kind of carry or keep everyone together when suddenly you all were sent your your separate ways?
1: Um, I mean, we we had we we're a tight group anyway. I think in sevens you always are. There's not many of you, and we spent every single day together up at Lensbury. So we had a really I I wouldn't say that on my teammates, I'd say that on my friends. Yeah which you don't get a lot in 15s because it's such a big group. And I'd say all of the girls were my close friends. I could trust them all. It's people I wanted to spend time with outside of the sport. And you have that in 15s in smaller groups, but there's a lot more people, a lot more personalities, age groups, blah, 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 loads of things going on. So, yeah, I think we were really, it helped that we were really tight anyway. Uh, you know, like everybody, we had the Zoom calls. <laughs> Uh, we had quizzes and we set up uh, not competitions, but we were all very competitive. Who could do a five k the quickest? So, and ultimately, we all had the same goal. Yeah, we all knew there's an Olympics, so we can stop and mope about and feel like sorry for ourselves that we've been broken up overnight, or you keep on doing it for the team. So every time you go down to that pitch and you're doing your seventh lap of the pitch, or you're thinking, why am I doing this? Like, yeah. I'm killing myself doing a five k. Why am I doing this? It's because you know that your other girls are doing the exact same thing. And ultimately, if you're both doing it, you know it's fine. I'm doing it. This hurts, but it also hurts them as well. So that's something that kept us really tight uh, together and I guess is part of the reason that they did so well as well.
0: And just a quick one on that 5K thing, because I imagine there may be some people who will listen to this on their morning 5K slogging around the streets. How fast are we talking when you say who could do the fastest 5k? What were some of the times? Oh,
1: there? my, I, I I was really good at it. Um, I was super competitive. I mean. What a surprise. Weird, having spoken to weirdly, you you were, weirdly yeah. competitive. Like I, looking back on it, it's kind of, yeah, kind of weird. I'd like go to bed thinking about the places that I could run. And then I'd like, I'd go and I'd, I'd start a run and if I went on the canal, the traction under my feet was a bit slippy so I couldn't get the fastest time. I just wanted to make sure every time I put the time in, no one would be able to beat me. Right, okay. So um, yeah, I'd, I'd do that. I'd like drive around and find like a really flat spot, drive 2.5K so I knew and I got to turn around and do 2.5 back and work out, okay, well, I, you'd have your headphones on and so you've done it in this time. The, like, the first K in this time. If I knew by the second or third K that I'd dropped so many seconds and I couldn't do it, I'd stop, walk back to my car, go home for a bit, eat, recover, and go again. I was crazy, wow. crazy obsessed with it. I needed to find an obsession because rugby wasn't happening. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I managed. My best time uh, was uh, 1956, I think. Yeah, I, don't, I I wouldn't be able to. I'd actually tried doing a 5K a few weeks back, and I think I did it in 22 i hadn't done it in a long time and i I just thought how have i done that in the time i I just wanted to get sub 20 that was my goal and then i thought i can't do it anymore i'm not doing that anymore i can't get faster but yeah i made sure every time i went out i was quicker than the time before because i had to create my own competition so
0: i think it's just an interesting insight into kind of that motivation that you talked about and kind of wanting to be the best Mm. that even on what was essentially you know yes it was a fitness thing but was maybe a social thing amongst uh, your yeah, teammates but a group of friends yeah that that level that you took that to that is um let's just say i did exactly the same over lockdown <laughs> um <laughs> so then world cup comes around again that's that's delays. your focus has shifted you know in this um this whole bubble that kind of goes with that going off to to new zealand and i mean i watched some of it i don't mind admitting that mm. I've got a one-year-old at home, so I wasn't waking, setting any additional <laughs> alarms to get up any earlier. But watching it and watching that that final, like it was gutting but inspiring as a supporter. Mm. It was really difficult to kind of describe because you're kind of like, this is incredible, full stop. Yes, a win would have been amazing. But what was it like in that group? Was there a moment where it must have been devastating? Right? I'm not going to try and sugarcoat and pretend, oh no, it was a great experience, but yes, devastating. But at what point for you did that change to but what an amazing experience.
1: Um, I think once we got home and, you know, the, I, at no point did I think we were going to lose. Mm-hmm. Even until the, the Hooter went, I thought we've won. I gen- really? Genuinely, yeah. I, I remember, obviously, I'm further out. And I, I looked at the thing, Hooter goes, and I just thought, we've won it. I looked back, looked down at the line-out, and that was just as it was getting stolen. Mm. And at that point, I thought, oh, I, no. like, I really thought up until that point, we've done it. We have we never got too far away in the, the scoreline. We were always in it. Mm. I didn't feel massively stressed. Um, obviously, it was really hard work, and I didn't feel at any point like we'd lost the game or we were losing the game. Mm. So... I then thought when that happened, I just went numb. I didn't have like a, oh my side, I just went numb. I remember dropping to my knees and one of the physios coming up and helping me back up. And then it was almost like a mist. I was just, don't know how I feel right now, maybe because I thought that we'd, not thought we'd won, but I didn't think we were going to lose even when we were playing it. I, I was just, yeah, missed it over the whole time. Went back to the changing rooms, sat there in my little cubby, and I was just blank. And Abby Dow came up to me. She was like, Are You okay? And I just burst into tears. And I couldn't say, Oh, I'm sad about this, sad about that. I was just gutted, is the, no. is the, like, what I'd say. And, you know, we, we spent that time together. We, I got into the hot tub with the girls. We all sat there. And I was just like, Oh, <laughs> what? As if that just happened. And then we all went back to the hotel. We got ready and we, we went out and we celebrated what we did. And mm. we were around our families, around the girls. And we had a really good evening um, of what could have been, but what is as well. Um, and then for me, I, I kind of thought, you know, with the the football that went on for the for the women, that yeah. this is the turning point. I was like, if we win, we're going to come back and it's going to change, like... For everybody, not just for us, it's gonna change for everybody. The women's sport is gonna is gonna um yeah, it's gonna it's gonna get big. And I thought, oh no, like we've let everybody down, let ourselves down, like wow. we, we were so close, we could've done it and this was gonna be the best win in history. Beating the Blackferns in New Zealand, selling out Eden Park, fourteen men, all the things that you could grab at. Being a three-point game, whatever it was going to be. Um, yeah, and I just, I thought, wow, this is going to change it. And I suddenly thought, we haven't done it. And, you know, when I got home, I I didn't go away anywhere. I took, a, I took a few days to myself and then I was super busy with, oh, can you come to this? Can you come to that? And the amount of conversations that I had with people that really opened my eyes up to how much it did change the game, you know. I wasn't just having conversations with young girls. I wasn't just having conversations with their parents or with the girls that play or women that play in the in the leagues as well. I was having conversations at Twickenham with the men that watch the men's games, with boys who have been obsessed with it. I would, met people and like random people that I would never have like it's not because we're in a rugby setting Mm -hmm. and like we watched the game that was so inspiring to watch and we want to come to this and then I started seeing the ticket sales for the France game which then I thought we've done the change like that is the change and yeah we'd love to stand here with the with the medal around our necks and the and the trophy in our hands but we've got a home world cup in two and a half years we're now beatable you know we everyone talks about this winning streak i'm telling you now no one thinks about the winning streak i don't even know what the, the number was i honestly really? i have no idea 18 19 but that's only because someone said it to me and i yeah. was I, I never thought about it like you can't go into a game thinking well we've won 19 is because that means nothing as soon as you lose it's back down to zero yeah there was no pressure with it you just if we lose this game we lose it and at that point in the tournament if we lose this game we lose the world cup it's not about the... Mm-hmm. however many games we've won before, because that's that's history, that's happened, and that's it, is what we can do right now. And, you know, then when when I came back and people were, like, talking about it and saying how much it inspired them and thanking us, and that's when I really realised, like, wow, like we've done something really cool. Yeah. And, you know, when it comes to the Home World Cup and we're selling out Twickenham, I mean... We, I don't know how we've sold over 40,000 tickets for the France game we're not far off of you know keep on saying it's 29th of Mar- uh, April. Yeah. there's plenty of time to still sell tickets so that could happen earlier And that's when I think you know what it has changed. We have done what we wanted to do and now we've got something bigger to look forward to. and when we when we're here we've all it's not New Zealand fans and everyone wanting English to lose everyone in that stadium yeah. by a couple a couple of thousand will be behind our backs and they're singing the national anthem with us and, you know, being part of that stadium when everyone was doing the haka. Yeah. Was incredible, like incredible. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so it it was quite daunting and that's kind of why we set up the way that we set up across the pitch. Mm-hmm. So they couldn't actually look at us because it feels like you're in, you know when you're going to take like an old um, hall and there's like the, the old school, old school, the like old paintings, oil paintings, yes. and you yeah. think wherever you're standing, they're looking at me. Yeah it's basically like that when they do the hacking, you think everyone's looking at me and they're all looking at me because they want to hit me and so we placed ourselves across the pitch so they can't all do that and thankfully I had the sun in my eyes so I was Perfect. like I can't see you anyway <laughs> so yeah so yeah I think it's um it's something that yes I'm proud of of what we did but I'm, ex- I'm so excited. I wanted the next World Cup to be two weeks after. When we got back, I was like, I want to go again. Like, I actually got back to the change rooms. I thought, can we just replay? <laughs> can we just
0: do the game? <laughs> replay, can, replay, yeah. Can we
1: just do it again? Because I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. It changed the game. It was a game that is honestly up there with... People have said that. Like, people have said who don't watch women's rugby, one of the best games of rugby they've ever seen. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's the bit that's really, really cool. Well,
0: that is a fascinating answer and so many different bits to to pick out and i'm sure people listening will all have their own bits that they'll take away from that the one question that i want to to ask is just hearing the way that you speak about it you seem very very aware and proud of the responsibility of changing the game right of being involved in that first sellout at twickenham for Mm -hmm. for the women's team do you find that easy difficult or none of the above mm. when compared to your day job which is also going out and winning rugby games right and playing rugby like mm. how much does that feature in your in your thought process or is that something that you're reflective of after or something that you feel a responsibility on before
1: um i mean everyone everyone kind of talks about what you play for the next generation mm. and you want to change the game for the next generation i'm lucky that i'm i'm 23 I'm part of the next generation. So when I'm playing, I'm playing because I wanna change now. I wanna make it great now because it's not a career forever. And ultimately that'll change it for the next generation. So when I go out and play, I'm not thinking, oh, I wanna wanna change the sport. I wanna be part of something that's great. That's unforgettable. I don't look back and think, "Oh, I wish, I wish I was part of that next generation." Because you can't be. You're not part of the next generation. Yeah, no. yeah. It, Age happens. You get older, and you can look back on it and think, oh, "I wish I was part of that." Or the next, like that's that's great. But I'm doing because I want to change it now. Why do we have to wait ten years? Like, yeah. Every every because the next generation will say, "I'm waiting ten years for the next generation," and so on and so on. It change happens, and everything grows. I want to be part of that now. So when I go out, I don't think oh, I'm wanting to, to change or blah blah blah. I want. That's why I say I want to be the best player in the world. People look in and they don't say, "Oh, we're watching women's rugby." They're, they're, they're coming to watch rugby at the end of the day. It's the yeah. same spot, different sides of it, and it, it like it, it has its differences. But ultimately, you're coming to watch rugby, and that's it. So. I want to do that and, you know, be up there with the greats. And you, you say these great rugby players, oh, you've got Johnny Wilkins and you've got Dan Carter, like all of these great rugby players. And then you start having female players in there because we are just rugby players. Yeah. There's no there's no real difference. We train just as hard. Like I that's that's the change that I'm wanting. But that, that doesn't come from just wanting it and that's it. That comes from, you know, every time I, I step in the gym, I make sure I'm lifting more weight than I did last week or I'm pushing myself harder than I did last week that's every time I go to training how do I get something out of this right now so when you're injured you're not thinking right I'm injured for x amount of time well that's a pause it's not a pause because you're not going to get that time back so how do you look in and think okay I've got an opportunity right now how am I gonna look into that and get something out of it I'm injured right now and I'm going to be out for a bit of time and I was in, I am in the best physical form I've ever been in. Mm. I'm in the best like rugby mindset that I've ever been in. My confidence, my game was going the best it's been. And I got injured and I can sit and mope and I can say, oh, like, feel sorry for me. I'm injured. I'm not going to get anything out of the next eight weeks or whatever it's going to be. Or I think, okay, what can I do? So can I, can I look at more like more into the, the, the pivotal stuff so i'm not moving my feet and what can i do ball in hand how do i trick this player without even moving my feet yeah. what can i do with my eyes to make them think i'm going this way am i going this way how do i analyze the game and take a leadership role and how do i present a meeting to the girls say this is what i've seen this yeah. is what i think we should do this is the review that i've made how do i make the most gains of my upper body so that i'm still hitting tackles and i'm still doing all the things but i come back better how do i get my mechanics better so i can get quicker all the things that i wouldn't have opportunity to do if i was playing every single day and i think that's the that's the change that that's the things that people like i i try to do like every day how do i get better how do i get better how do i make sure i don't miss an opportunity and with that that changes the game
0: wow i mean i could listen to you all day on that on that topic and it's an incredible insight into how your brain works and i think is a testament to why you are where you are and why you're going to be where you're going to be i mean you put it out there really matter of fact your aim is to be the best rugby player in the world and i challenge anyone to come away from listening to this conversation Mm -hmm. to doubt you even for a second um on -hmm. that um now one thing that kind of has come out a few times in in this chat about getting that contract for the sevens, then COVID, then the contract for the 15s, looking at other jobs otherwise, is that, yes, this is something you're incredibly good at, but it's also your, your job and it's your, it's your career. Mm. So I guess my my question based on that would be, when you're looking at a job as something that you love, but also something that ultimately has to keep keep the lights on, mm. um, when it comes to, to your finances, are you, a, are you a spender or a saver? How would you categorise yourself?
1: I'm fortunate that I've got... A mother who has been very strict on make sure you put money away right okay um so yeah i i would say i'm not a great saver but i've but i've put the work in to save right you know, okay. i'm i'm really fortunate that i've uh, i've managed to buy my first place yeah and mum was like don't do it don't do it but that for me is investment and again, when COVID happened and I was looking at places to, to rent on my own, I thought it's more expensive to rent than it is to, to like have a mortgage. And I was fortunate that I had money away to, to do that. So I am very much an impulse spender. Right, I've got okay. to have, so I, I can feel myself getting built up and I'm like, I have to spend some money, <laughs> I have to spend some money. But I can do that because I have saved. But I also right, love okay. spending money on other people. I, I love spending I don't really like spending money on myself apart from these impulse things every now and again. I love spending money on other people and making like if we go out for food, it's fine, I've got it, or let me get you a coffee or something like that. Let me get you like I like getting people gifts and, and it's not big I, like big gifts, it's not that, it's it's small little things. I just like doing things for other people and like the thoughtful side of things. Um, so yeah, I do think I am a spender gradually. But like I said, I, I try my hardest to put some money away and my mum will be always on my back to to kind of say that as well.
0: So what was your last impulse buy then?
1: Well, it was the camera that I, I got yesterday. <laughs> okay, yes, right, okay. Literally yeah. yesterday. I knew that look, I'm going to be out for a little while with this injury. And I really like photography. Like, mm. I really like photography and not that I know much about it because I don't, but I like people seeing what I can see because my brain works a million miles an hour Mm. and sometimes I can see something and, you know, I'm driving, I've got a song on and I can imagine a video that I'm going to create. I'm a very creative person. Wow, okay. And that's my output. That's how I, like, come away from being, I need to be creative, where it's painting something, where it's making a video or, you know, put getting some f- like film photography together. Yeah. Like, I love the creative side of things, which is part of the like the fun of having my own place. I can make it look exact- like, the way that I want it to look. So I thought, you know, I'd seen this camera about, and I was like, do I invest? Do I invest? Do I invest? But if I'm going to do it, I need to do it well. because do you keep
0: going back to it as well? Do you kind of go see it and go, well, not today? Yeah. And then like two hours later, you're like, oh, I'll just look at it again and yeah. see if it's still, it's still in stock. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah, I literally, when I first saw it, I thought, that is and i am the person in cam that I've, in the world cup i had a camcorder and i got loads of like nostalgic film on the camcorder people loved it i had my my film camera that i took out and i'm that person behind the lines like capturing it because i could my mum has always been on it with cameras like she loves taking photos i think she grew up not having a lot of photos to look back on so it's been a very important thing for her to have that she has a photo book every year and it's something that I now see importance in creating, you can create memories, but you can also capture them to look back on as well. And yeah. if there's only one person, you're fine and you, you've got it. It's not everyone on that. I'm not, I don't like doing it on my phone because yeah. it's, there's just something about holding the phone and how that looks and you've got yeah. other distractions on it. Where It takes you out of the moment. right? It does. It does. Whereas a camera, you take it, you're done, you move yeah. on. And yeah, so that was my last impulse by uh, yesterday. And then, just before that, I got a puppy, <laughs> so that was that was a post World Cup impulse. So just uh, I'm getting wound up. I need to do something. So yeah, I got a little puppy, and you know, what both of the things. I've, I mean, I've only had a day of the camera. I love it. Yeah, love it. I I'm, I've made another Instagram for it. Um, I've I've started taking a role, and you know, I think it's a big part of the women's game that we need more content. Mm. M- massive. I, I think there's a lot of personalities. In rugby and in women's rugby as well because, you know, you've got girls that are coming straight from the den- like being a dentist or being yeah. a policewoman or- and it's crazy. And that's the side that people don't know when they watch. We're more than just rugby players. One of my biggest things is I don't want to finish my career and just be known as Ellie the rugby player. Yeah. there's so many layers to me I don't want it to be in a podcast that I have to say oh this is me this is me this is what I do and please please believe me there's (laughs) there's different parts to me and you know that's I that's why I really love Instagram like because I'm honest on it I'm completing myself and people get to know me so then when when I finish a game and I'm going up speaking to people they know oh how's Otis I got asked how Otis was my little dog and I thought I don't know who you are, but he's great. And I can have a conversation with you because you feel like you're part of it. You know, people come to the Quinns matches and they think that their best mates with Joe Marler yeah. They've never met Joe Marler in their life, but they, know, they feel like they know who he is. And that's because the content that's out there. So, yeah, I, you know, I thought, I'm going to take it upon myself. I'm going to make some content for these girls. So I went to training yesterday. I was watching training. I got a load of pictures of them. Amazing put it in the group chat and people have got it then and it's um I've got on the on the camera why I love it is because it's got a film simulation so cool. it looks like film camera and It goes straight to my phone so I don't have to wait the two weeks to get the film back and spend, I spend actually just so much money getting them developed to find out they're all blurry or whatever it is so yeah I just take it upon myself like I said that's another part of like me as a person and the creative side of it, how I keep myself ticking. And if I'm there at training, taking pictures, I'm ultimately I'm watching it. I'm involved. I'm yeah, around the girls. It. Yeah, it keeps me there. And
0: I should just say uh, again for for the listener that both the camera and Otis are actually in the room um, <laughs> today. I mean, for a five month old puppy, the fact that uh, all the microphone cables are still plugged <laughs> in, unless it's been silent for the last half hour and no one's noticed, is is a miracle. Um, he's he's fantastic. Is he, he always is. this well behaved?
1: Yeah, he is actually. I mean. He's got a, a terrible habit of finding knickers around the house and suddenly I think, "Gets off my knickers, where have you got them from? But apart from that, knickers and socks, he's a, he's a gem. You know, he's, he's a little lap dog, and he, he's a great companion. He keeps me busy, he gets me out of the house and I, I really like, you know, getting out and going for a walk. Maybe it's part of my Yorkshire roots because all we tend to do is go on a walk everywhere all the time. Um... So, yeah, it's a, it's a blessing that I've, I've got him. Yeah, there's a few things to work out around when I go to camp and stuff, but I'll work it out. There's enough people who...
0: And he's he's cute, so... People, people, people are fine to look after to, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Um, I and mean, then, look, I think as much as I could keep this running and running because I'm just so fascinating and mainly because I don't want you to take Otis away, but I will ask my final question, um, Ellie, which is we've covered... A lot of ground you seem like someone who's incredibly driven single-minded but also self-aware mm. in in that and what i want to ask is it can't be positive all the time right when there are those difficult moments like that world cup final that you spoke about in that in that moment and picking up injuries getting released from the sevens you know pretty much overnight what is it that you find joy in that kind of brings you out of that
1: um I think I always say let the the emotion happen. Don't fight it for too long because it you'll bung it up and it'll come up again and you don't actually fix the problem, you push it to the side. So I think let the emotion happen, definitely. Have you cry. Mm. Put your sad song on if that's what you want to do. Like feel sorry for yourself for a couple of nights max or whatever yeah. it is. And then set out a plan. And and go at it. Give yourself. It might be that you need to give yourself a distraction for a little while. It might be that you need to see a different perspective of things. You know, like I said, you get injured. Okay, well, I'm injured for a little while. What can I better? Yeah. World Cup final. We've lost a World Cup final. How do I find a positive from this? You know, we've we've had the most amazing time out there, and I'm now in a better place than I was at the start. So how can I drive that? So, yeah, I think let the emotion happen. Figure out your, your plan and then go for it 100%. Mm. Don't back off in any way because I think I, I, a lot of people, I mean, I go on about it a lot, but my go-to quote is, lukewarm is no good. Mm. Rolled-out quote, I've spoken about it in loads of different interviews and stuff and it's a similar thing. If you don't go at something that 100% and even if you don't quite know what it is that you're going at, yeah. fake it. Trust me, fake it and you'll find out on, on the way what it is you're going for. So, the amount of times I'm thinking, I'm going at something for 100%. I don't have a clue what I'm going for. <laughs> but I'm doing whatever I'm doing, I do it 100%. Of course, I'm going to get a camera that's expensive because I'm going to go for the photography. I'm going to go for the photography and, yeah. and go for it. If I'm going to, you know, oh, I want to get a pet, I'm going to get a puppy. <laughs> I'm yeah, going yeah. to get the cutest puppy and then, like, just do that. I do it 100%. And you now you'll figure out on the way what exactly that means for you. But you just Got to attack things, um, and find like find the light in as much as you can do. And it's so easy to say, oh, find the brighter side of life or oh, cup half full, mm. because it is easy to say that. And you know, a lot of the time, it's not like that. But fake it. Oh, it's so it's so controversial to say that
0: because I'm not saying fake emotions. Uh, I don't think it is controversial. I think all you're saying is that if you're going to do something, don't don't do it half measure. It doesn't yeah. mean that it's something you have to do forever doesn't mean it's something that you're is your only thing you're ever going to do for the rest of your life you're going to commit commit and if it doesn't work out well at least you gave it everything
1: yeah and i think as well like you like being honest with yourself i think a massive part of why i can sit here saying that with so much confidence is that i'm very very self-aware when something's not going right i know that something's not going right and i'm not afraid to say actually this isn't this isn't going right i'm feeling this way because i'm not cup half full all the time. Yeah. Be, I think it'd be weird to be cup half full all the time. You know, <laughs> someone that's too positive like Ned Flanders on <laughs> Simpsons, you think oh he's too positive all the time. Like There's someone, darkness
0: behind Ned Flanders, yeah, that's what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. Like, he will have his days where you think oh and right forget Ned Flanders but like you you know like you've got to be honest with yourself and you've got to think right okay this isn't going great. But if you can if you can see that, be aware of that, work out why Mm -hmm. you can then carry on being the way that you want to be to be cup half full and if you're not if you fake it again you'll bottle it up and you're you're faking it too much and you're not ever going to be that person that you want you're not going to be able to go 100 because you've got distractions going on that will just come up at a certain point and blow up so yeah self-awareness be honest and let the emotion happen is my top three definitely
0: wow that is that is some top three um Ellie, thank you so much for joining thank us on, on the pod. Uh, my takeaway, as you said, lukewarm is no good, much like my tea, because after we started talking, <laughs> I did not take one not sip. Either. So that is, it's beyond <laughs> lukewarm. It's, it's ice cold. cold. It's no good. But that's because that conversation was anything. Um, <laughs> Ellie, thanks for coming on Diary Thank Hala you very
1: Bean. much. Thank you.
0: Now, do you want to come over? Should we get a little clip with oh. Otis? Do you want to hear some uh what was my question? Um Otis um, Otis, are you a spender or a saver?
1: Good chat, Otis. That's
0: fantastic. He's 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 remaining coy, but that's because he has made no savings. He spent it all. Um Otis, thank you for coming on the Diary of a Harlequin.